Welcome to the Harrington Star FinTech Diversity and Inclusion Discussions. I want to showcase the people across our industry who are advocates for change. I love to celebrate the wins, but we know that we need so much more to be done to ensure that change actually happens. In these diversity and inclusion discussions, I have a number of series. The Humans of FinTech, the Talent Surgery, the Maternity and Paternity Stories, and the longest running of them all, the Women of FinTech podcast series. I do lots of work to drive change campaigns across our industry to increase inclusion within the workplace. So please contact me for more information to see how we can partner together. You can contact me through my LinkedIn or at nadia.edwards-dashti at harringtonstar.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire industry. Today we are joined by Joanne Biggerdyke, the Data Governance Manager of Metrobank. Now Metrobank was the first new high street bank for over 100 years back in 2010 and boasts unparalleled levels of customer service and convenience to offer simpler and more convenient banking. Joanne allows for this convenience to happen safely. And she has extensive experience of working on a number of major projects to ensure that data is considered at every necessary point. Joanne works with all areas of Metrobank to support best practice for the use and the treatment of data. And she's here to share her story with us today. So welcome, it's great to have you here. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So it'd be lovely if you could start off by telling us a bit more about Metrobank itself. Of course. So um, I joined Metrobank in 2017. Um, So it had been pretty much established by the time I joined. And um, as you mentioned, we've been going since 2010, which means that we actually had our 10 year birthday this year. And we actually got some, some uh, I don't know, you can't see, but we, we wear M-pins at work. And we got an M-pins with 10 on as a little gift oh, sent to us. I think mine's upstairs. So, yeah, so um, Metro Bank is very much customer-based. We call our, what I think other banks call branches, we call them stores. Um, because we do see ourselves as a retail bank, similar to your your other stores that you get in shopping centres. And um, the main focus is that we want to be available for our customers when it suits our customers. Um, so we don't have your standard opening hours. Um, obviously, with COVID, we have changed our hours slightly. But normal non-COVID hours, I think in the week, we're open 8 to 8, which gives um customers ample time to come and visit and then at the weekends we're open both Saturday and Sunday and they're full days as well um, which basically means that um, we see ourselves as being there for our customers and we're not closing our stores we're opening them um, so um, we've got I think um, 77 stores now and we originally started out in the London area and we've branched out quite widely now and we're also in Wales we do personal banking and um, business banking. And uh, if you know our bank, you know that we're very pet friendly, which means you can bring your dogs 
and pets into our stores. Um, we provide snacks for, for pets. We've got dog biscuits, I believe. And also uh, in our head office, our main head office in Hoban, um, on Magic Fridays, um, you're allowed to bring in your dogs into work. Oh, lovely. Which used to make lovely. a lot of people very happy. You would, It would be quite funny, actually. Sometimes people who work at Metro Bank would bring in their babies Sometimes people would bring in their dogs, and I won't lie, the dogs got more attention than the poor babies, um, which was quite amusing. Um, So, yeah, we're we're very much a community bank, and um, we work within the uh, communities that we're based. We um, do promotion for school children and help out with understanding money. I think we've done over 200,000 children have been through our support program for that. I think we get local schools to come into the store, we give them a bit of a talk and things like that. So I think, obviously, this is the first retail bank I've ever worked at. Um, I've always worked in finance, but just not in retail banking. And I don't really have a comparison, but a lot of um, individuals that work at Metro Bank have had vast careers in retail banking and they absolutely love it because they say it gives them an opportunity to do lots of things that they've never had a chance to do before. Yeah, that's a really good thing to be able to say. Um, and yeah, I love so much of everything that you're saying, especially the dogs. What a great day to have them all. It is funny, actually, when you go into work and at first it, it gets it takes some getting used to, but then it just becomes the norm, which is great. Yeah, so great. And like, I can imagine anyone listening to this, they're going to have a smile on their face right now, which is, which is what Metro Bank's all about, right? It um, is, it is for sure. So tell us a bit more about you and your journey to this position. Ah, so my background is I went to university and um, I did a completely different kind of degree. I did history and sociology, which is really my passion. And the idea of working in finance, if you'd have told me when I was younger, I'd have laughed. But ironically, it really does suit my skill set. And I absolutely love it. I don't just do it. It's something that I really enjoy. And what I do now, data governance, you do get that in different industries, but I really do enjoy working in finance. I think it's because for me, everything you do is important. So even if you're in a team that does one part of a role that has an end goal, and it means that you can see how important what you do is. Um, I started out in Japanese trading companies. Um, I was a junior trader for small electrical goods and I also used to do letters of credit which is I think a very detail orientated role as well and I moved on and worked in quite a few different Japanese companies after that. I've worked in shipping, I've worked in aerospace and then I kind of really got into the kind of thing that I'm doing now when I moved on to work for a company called LCH, the London Clearing House as it was then. Mm. Um, and that was a not-for-profit when it first started out and it was the only clearinghouse for financial institutions at the time and I think that's really where I learnt everything about regulation, how important it is to do things properly and I moved across after doing a few roles there 
into working in static and data management and the team that I worked in were superb. They were really, really focused on getting things right. Um, it was about following a process, following a procedure. It was just standard to know exactly what to do and how to do it. There was no question marks. It was, okay, if we don't know how to do something, we'll work out how to do it and then we'll do it. Um, it was really well run. And I think that that has just kept me in good practice for everything I've done since then. And it's not until I've worked at other organisations that haven't had that kind of structure that I realised how unique it was mm. because I've gone to other places and it was it was a bit more, oh, um, the only person that knows how to do that is this individual, is there a procedure? No. Has it been written down? No. Do you know why we do that? No. And then you've almost got to start from scratch again and, and establish things, which is a lot harder after the event. If you do them as you go, it's a lot easier. So I think for me, I've been in data governance as a function for about four or five years, but I've definitely done it for longer than that as just part of my job before. And data governance as a function, as you kind of mentioned at the start, is basically about treating data as an asset in itself. It's about making it important in its own right. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really useful for us to hear your journey and the fact that you came from history and sociology background, because like, I love that. I love that you're another example of someone that's in a senior position within a financial institution and you've, you've come from a history uh, background, history and sociology. And a lot of people will associate people that work in fintech or financial services or retail banking, they associate them to come from maths, computer science, uh, physics, and it's great that you did a humanities. So that's really... Yeah, definitely. And I think also there's a lot of things actually that I did in my sociology um, aspects of my degree, because it was a joint degree. In my first year, we did analytics. We studied stats. We studied um, social statistics. Um, We looked at all different kind of algorithms And in my roles throughout my career, I've really worked closely with IT um, and a lot of my really good friends that I've made in in my various organisations have come from IT. And I remember one of my friends who who came from a kind of very technical background, she had a book at work that I'd had to read as part of my sociology degree. That's interesting, isn't it? So the funny thing is, a lot of the humanitarian topics, I think, get undervalued because there is an assumption that that if you haven't done it, that you know what's involved in it. Mm. And and sociology as a topic is vast. And that was my favourite thing to do as well. I really enjoyed sociology. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. So, so tell us a bit about what your role is like now um, for Metro Bank and what it entails, because I know it's quite varied. Mm. It is really varied, actually. So as a, as a main function, my responsibility is to make sure that we embed our data governance policy and our framework follows what our standards want to be. And I help the organisation to do that. And I think what, what can be the difficult thing is that there aren't any, any things that you particularly say someone needs to do. It's really generic and it's generic for a very 
correct reason it's because every single situation is different so depending on what team you're in depending on what function you use data for you have a different use of it which means that there is no right or wrong way to do it so what data governance does is it recognizes that you need the specialists in the different areas to actually be really involved with you and they are responsible for data in their area and you actually work with those individuals so for example I wouldn't come along and say to somebody in my organization or oh, you need to do a b and c the whole point is they know what they're doing you're just maybe giving them an additional help so maybe saying okay well you're using that data can you confirm you're using it from the right source is there a particular area where you can validate that that's correct have you checked that it's fulfilled that there aren't any gaps and things like that and I think the difficulty in my job is that there's so many um, areas within especially finance where you're regulated and you've got um, particular things that you need to do and quite often there's like a list of things that different departments can say this is what we need you to do here's a checklist here's, um, here's some principles but with data governance, it's really varied. It's not actually about doing one thing. And it's not even about being 100% correct. It's about knowing where your issues are. It's about knowing where your weaknesses are so that you can make a decision. So we're very customer centric, which means that if a customer comes into our store and they haven't got all the information they need, we will try our very best to make sure that we push them through as for an account. We would never want to send someone away and say, oh, we need this bit of information. If we can get past that for that time, we will do that. But the problem is that then causes us an issue later down the line. So what we need to do is make sure that we then get that piece of information so that everything for everybody is there. And it's about judging how important is that piece of information. For one team, it might be completely irrelevant. So that means it's not important for them. They don't care about that. They care about something else. For another team that that team might not know anything about, that's the key thing they need to yeah. do their job. So I think part of my role is to make sure that those two teams talk to each other or that they're aware of what that use is and that's kind of one of the many things that data governance is there for it's to tie up the loose ends and it's also in addition to the day job and what I can't do is say to someone you need to do this you need to do that um, and someone really explained it really well a colleague in data privacy she was being asked for some advice and it was without any context and she actually replied a really great idea she said I can't tell you what to do but if you tell me what you want to do I can advise you what we think and data governance is very similar to that if, if a, a colleague tells us what they want to do I can potentially from my experience say in my experience this can help this can help or even speak to this colleague speak to that colleague so yeah it, it can come across as a bit of a, um, a role where you're sitting on the fence yeah. but that is really deliberate because for you do not want a data governance function should not be the result of one individual telling everybody what to do because that is that is not what it's meant to be yeah that's really interesting and I bet it keeps you on your toes right <laughs> it does and and it's one of those things where I'm continuously trying to think of new ways to explain it I'm continuously trying to think of ways to make 
others understand it because it's what I do every day and I find it easy. And, and again, another colleague once said to me um, when I was kind of a bit frustrated that people weren't understanding what I do and they said, well, do you know what I do? And I said, no. <laughs> and they said, exactly. So that's a really great point. Never assume that people know what your job is just because yeah. you do. Yeah, yeah. That's a really big point. Um, and just thinking about like what your job entails day to day, it sounds like it's challenge upon challenge upon challenge that you have to solve or help people get to the solution. Um, what would you say the biggest challenges you face and overcome? The biggest challenge is, is priorities and also um, a lot of what I do is stakeholder management and the people that I work with are often the busiest people. They're the people that are really pivotal to everything. They're the decision makers and they're people that potentially haven't got time to have a chat with me or haven't got time to change a process or even think about a process that they've been doing because they're doing the doing. And I think what my difficulty is working out where the priorities are because the whole point of data governance is it should be about what's important to the teams that you're working with. It's not about what I think is important. So it's really a big lesson. Like I said, with the data, for example, something could be blank or missing. And if I saw that, I might think, oh, that's really important. But then when you speak to the team, they go, oh, we don't need that. It's fine. <laughs> and I think that's the whole point. You don't know until you speak to the to the individual. If you can't get hold of that person, then you might completely put the red button, you know, problem, issue, yeah. and there isn't a problem at all. So I think what I've learned over my time is just be calm about things. Don't assume something is is wrong. And also just, just kind of wait till you've spoken to the right people. Yeah. And the problems to overcome is I think that – if obviously I'm dealing with the whole of the organisation, so if there's one area that's too busy or that can't can't kind of come to the table, just move across to someone that can. Yeah. Um, they'll come along eventually. You know, give people the space to come to you as well. Yeah, yeah, that's really really good advice. I think so. As you know, this podcast is you know called the Women of FinTech. I'm all about how do we walk the talk for change across the industry. I want us to be doing more for inclusion. What are your thoughts on the market and what do you think we should be doing for inclusion? I do think finance as a whole is still very much a more male-based function. And then, of course, you've got finance on top of IT and um, technology. They are often quite male-based. I think that you you can do a few things. Obviously, networking is really important, you know, hold events. We have quite a few groups at Metro Bank that are here to support different types of individuals. So we have M-Pride, which is for our um, LGBT groups. We have M-Parents, which is for our parents, and we have one that's um, – Embrace, which is about diversity, and we have one that's for women on work, which is our WOW um, networking event. And it's very much um, something that people do. They volunteer to do that. They organise events where we can go along and talk to people about their careers. We've had some really senior um, women within our industry talk about their journey, how they've got there. We also obviously have different, um, which is not just a female event, we have guys at our event as well, because we just want to make it inclusive. We don't want to say 
oh, it's only women that we're interested in because obviously everybody works with different types of people and you can really get support from your MAP colleagues. And I would never want anybody to feel left out of something. Now, obviously, for these kinds of events, you often do get more females attend it because it's, a, it's that kind of network. But no, I think those kinds of things. And also, if you're advertising a role, for example, reach out to your network if you know of someone that could potentially do that role. If you know of someone's skill set, a lot of people that I work with, um, when an opportunity comes up, they bring in their um previous colleagues that they've worked with which means that you're they're really establishing networks and I think the main thing is I've, I've read a lot lately a lot of um, women networks are kind of pointing out that women as a group tend to not go for a job unless they've got every single thing on the criteria and the the thing that um, I'm seeing lately is just go for it what have you got to lose? And I think that kind of message is really good as well. You know, promoting, just go for it. If you think you've got most of the skill set, why wouldn't you go for it? And I think they've they've kind of established that's potentially a difference between some men and some women in that a man potentially might go for that role, whereas a female might think, oh. Now, of course, they're completely generalisations. You've always get exceptions to the rule and that's the whole point of gender isn't it it's personality based as well but I think as we're discussing the fact that women aren't so much in the um, technology industry and they're certainly not so much in the finance industry I think interest in the role as well raising the profile yeah yeah I 100% agree with all of those things that you said and that's really that's really good to hear so if there was one lesson of your career that you'd share with us what would that be that's really difficult because I would 100% say that I'm constantly learning and that there isn't one. But I think the main one probably is that when you find yourself in a situation not of your choosing, say, especially in this environment, we've all been there, where your job ends either quickly because something hasn't gone right or you've been made redundant and you weren't expecting it, it can be really easy to think that's it everything is over and I think that from my experience the next thing you do is the best thing because because you open up your opportunities so I suppose it is don't worry as much now of course it's really easy to say because I know there's the financial issues if you don't have a job and all those kinds of things but what I more mean is you can do things yourself to really fast forward your career Keep up your your LinkedIn profile, you know, keep your networks going and reach out to individuals. What I've noticed in the last few years is a lot of people will put forward colleagues they've worked with and say, this person's found themselves out of a role. Can you really help them? A colleague of mine recently did this really great piece on on LinkedIn about the fact that um, they've been made redundant and they've studied and they've done things. And I suppose that's really my advice. It's that if you find yourself at a dead end in your career, look for something else that also suits you because there is never just going to be one thing. I did data management and I loved it. And all the roles that were coming up were not data management. And that's when I moved across into data governance. And I absolutely love data governance. And I don't think I'd have moved across into it if all the data management roles that I was hoping were there were there. So kind of that's my point. You know, there's opportunities when you find yourself at the end of something. 
And that's really, really, really good to hear that. There's opportunities that you'll find for yourself when you're at the end of something. I love that. Because I think that, especially right now, there's a lot of people at a crossroads. There's a lot of people, um, unfortunately, have been put on furlough. They'll have time to think about like what, like what actually am I doing in my career? And actually, if we can pause for a minute and think, what direction should I be going in? I think that's really, really good advice. Um, and then my last question is, what is next on the horizon? <laughs> um, to be honest, very much what I do is is where I want to stay. I, I am loving doing data governance. And I think a few years ago, I was asked, would I look at being a chief data officer? And at that time, I kind of said no. But I definitely think that's something that I'm moving towards achieving as well. And I suppose that's another bit of advice as well. If you're not ready for a move at one time, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be ready at a later point, you know, because the more you do something, the more confident you get. And I think, again, don't undervalue yourself. I think a lot of this, um, the, the point about if you've not got everything, go for it anyway, really resonated with me and made me think, well, maybe I could do that as a job. Now, of course, my bosses shouldn't worry. I'm not planning on leaving. I do enjoy what I'm doing, um, but definitely continue progress in what I do. And I think trying to to kind of raise awareness for what I do as well is important because it is a very much, it can be a misunderstood area. Yeah, yeah. And I think that you've you've done so much for that today in this podcast. Like, I feel like my understanding is so much better. And I know that there'll be a lot of people listening to this that will probably now look up data governance and think, oh, maybe that could be good for me in, in my future. So um, it's been brilliant learning about you, learning about the business. So thank you very much for being on an episode with me. No worries. Thank you for having me. Thank you.